Game prep includes Range's Arlo doorbell camera, so you don't miss a single play during the big game. Visit range.net slash Arlo today and guarantee that the pizza guy is the only delay of game flag you see. First Federal Bank and Trust is excited to announce the First Federal Community Commitment Program. Each week for 52 weeks starting in January, First Federal will select a Sheridan County nonprofit who will receive $1,000 in cash, plus Sheridan Media will match that with a marketing budget. You can find an entry form at any First Federal Bank location or online at efirstfederal.bank. If you've received a donation from First Federal in the last three years, you're automatically entered into the drawing. Community Commitment, presented by First Federal Bank and Trust and Sheridan Media. Member FDIC. What if you had more time to manage your business operations, sell your products, or take a vacation? What if you had someone to pay your bills, handle your payroll, or watch your bottom line? Let the accounting professionals at Harker Mellinger add free time to your schedule by providing a cost-effective bookkeeping service, as well as adding useful management reports for your business. Call or visit Harker Mellinger at 1811 South Sheridan Avenue in Sheridan. And remember, the initial consultation is always free. It's the holiday season and Sunlight Federal Credit Union would like to give you the gift of savings with their new CD rates. They are now offering a three-year CD with a 3.56 APY, requires a $500 minimum deposit, and an early withdrawal of penalty applies. Let Sunlight help you see your money grow. So stop by one of our locations in Sheridan, Cody, Powell, and Worland, or take a look online at sunlightfcu.com. Member NCUA, an equal housing lender. Sunlight Federal Credit Union, building a brighter future together. Hard water takes a toll on your home and your appliances, but with a Helen Brand water softening system, you can eliminate the effects hard water has on your home and your family. To learn more, contact your local Helen Brand dealer or visit Helen Brand Water Center at helenbrandwatercenter.com. Helen Brand, see water clearly. Water Products and Solutions, located at 1909 South Sheridan Avenue in Sheridan, or call 672-7606. This is Public Pulse, your information and conversation program, brought to you by First Federal Bank and Trust. You can voice your opinion by calling 672-KROE. That's 672-5763. Now, your host for Public Pulse, Aaron Palmer. And good morning, Public Pulse on 930 AM, 103.9 FM, KROE, and I'm Aaron Palmer, filling in for Floyd Whiting this week. And joining me this morning on part one of Public Pulse is the Sheridan Police Department. We have Captain Tom Ringley and Lieutenant Dan Keller. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thanks really for having good. us. Thank you. Holidays went well for you guys? Yeah, it, we had a, um, a fantastic holiday weekend here in Sheridan. It looks like a lot of people enjoyed themselves. And we actually only had one uh, driving under the influence arrest on either uh, New Year's Eve or early New Year's Day morning and two public intoxication arrests all, all weekend. So that's lower than our average weekend. So we'd like to, you know, give our kudos to the community who did a fantastic job in making plans. Great. No craziness for the most part. Over that, the that's correct. Great. Okay. Well, today we had, uh, you wanted to talk about use of force in the police department. And I am I guess because you guys have into the year reports, so you've kind of compiled all this, we, correct? We, we, we do. We can compile uh, use of force statistics at the um, at the end of every year. And it's important. We appreciate the opportunity to come on the air and, and discuss it because transparency is one of our, 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 uh, our, our key um, priorities. The community needs to know 
what we're doing. Um, so it's kind of become tradition that usually Chief Koltiska and I come on either the first or second uh, show of the year and, and discuss our, our use of force um, numbers, for lack of a better term, but also our philosophy and the reasoning behind why we use what levels of force. Um, we're happy to say that the, the summarize that the past year, we've had zero incidents where any officers or suspects sustained any serious bodily injury. Um, we had no incidents of using deadly force. And we, we would attribute this to the, the guys and girls, officers we have on the streets that are, are making these difficult decisions on a, on a daily basis. Um, what, what's important for the community to understand and I think they do, is that it's easy to watch it. It's in the news. I mean, to police, policing cells, as I say almost every, um, every show, it's easy to watch a body camera video or cell phone video and make assessments in that moment. But what we um, evaluate um, when we review uses of force, and we do review every use of force, is what the officer knew at that moment. And that's been backed up by case law in the Supreme Court. Um, it, we, we don't have the, the luxury of operating with hindsight in the moment and our situations are, they can be intense and they can come out of the blue. Um, so we're extremely proud of all of our officers and dispatchers who have to handle the calls as well. Um, but yeah, it's, we, one of the many things we track, but probably the most important. One of the things, uh, and this is difficult, like you were saying, when, especially when you're in a, situation and you're not sure exactly what's going to happen da, 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 da. and i've seen a couple of incidents involving different police uh, officers where they diffused the situation you know and it didn't come down to you know uh, using bodily force by throwing someone on the ground or whatever the case may be or having to use a gun or whatever and they're very good at at diffusing those situations and I, you guys go through trainings to to help you understand those situations and to get through them correct uh, the, the, there is some training um but for the most part it's uh learning to sharpen our skills uh, police officers a brand new police officer making their first traffic stop they're just doing that they're dealing with somebody who has is all of a sudden has a heightened um anxiety and, and we're automatically learning how to bring that anxiety down we're, we're identifying what we're trying to accomplish and the real way we control things is through cooperation. Um, that's the best way to control anything. And officers are learning that in every little thing they do, um, gaining cooperation and, and compliance. Um, so we are trained to use force. We're willing to use force. Um, but that typically means everything else is broke down. That's the last tool in the toolbox we want to use. And, and they're learning to use other tools in everything they do. And we, we start... It starts in the beginning. When we interview uh, prospective candidates for police officer, we don't ask any police-related questions. We, we can teach that in a very short amount of time. What we're, what we're evaluating is character and how people achieve the character that they had, and that leads to life experience. Where we hire people that have been around the block a little bit, um, and, it's, it, and that doesn't correlate to age either. We just hired a 22-year-old um, who's, who's very young, but he's got a deployment to Guantanamo Bay with the Marine Corps Reserves under his belt. And that helped him make who he is today. And it's got him on the path to having a, an effective decision-making process. And, and a lot of it's just knowing what matters. Um, we, we've all, um, we hire people that don't take things personally. 
Um, we have always had one to two vacant vacancies because we won't fill those vacancies with the wrong people. We could fill them in a minute, um, but we won't. When the right people come along, we, we hire and swear those people in. Um, our people don't want to use force. Um, they want to solve problems. And we, the best way to solve a problem is through communication. All of our supervisors have crisis intervention training, um, which is a one-week course. Um, and our goal is to have all of our officers have, at a minimum, mental health first aid training, which is a lower-level crisis intervention. And it's just recognizing people in crisis. We're not going to diagnose anything. That's not our job, and we don't have 10 years of schooling on on the topic. Um, it's just being aware and, and being able to recognize that. Recognize there is a problem. Um, but having said that, we have to be extremely proficient with, um, with our equipment. Um, a lot of people think policing is all about being up on the range and shooting guns and doing room entries. That's a very small part of our job. However, um, given what's at stake, it's probably the, the thing we do train on the most. But what 99 point whatever percent of our job is communicating with our community. Um, so it, it's a balance that we feel that we've, we've, we've reached, um, although there's always room for improvement in every organization. And that's our goal. Um, the odd thing is, is how consistent our use of force numbers are throughout the years. Um, this year, we had um, 23 uh, uses of force. Um, and that's everything from displaying uh, this displaying equipment. I mean, also presence is a use of force, but we don't count that. But the displaying equipment to um, de deploying equipment. Um, so that's 23 times. We had um, over 11,000 calls. That is a lot. In, in 2023. Um, we made 474 custodial arrests that resulted from investigations. We made 244 arrests on warrants. So that's actually physically seizing people and taking them to jail. And we issued a further 942 summonses, which people aren't pleased about either. Um, so out of 11,246 11, calls for service, that's how many people we took to jail. And out of that number, we used use force approximately, or 23 times. And that's, uh, like you said, a very broad... Yeah. Uh, and, and last year it was 22 times. Um, so it's consistent. Yes. Yeah. Um, the Probably the highest level of force that we do use is... Um, is deploying a taser, which is an electronic control device. And it's just like you see on TV. Well, it's not just like you see on TV because it doesn't knock people unconscious like <laughs> like you see on some of the shows. Um, but it does incapacitate a, a suspect for, for five seconds so officers can gain control over that. And the value in that, it, it, it looks harsh, but it, it, it mitigates the need for more force. It's easier to arrest somebody with, with that tool than to have to use a, an impact weapon like right. a baton or a less lethal um, shotgun round. So we, we use the minimum amount of force necessary to achieve a legitimate police objective. And we're, we're extremely proud that we don't have anyone that wants to use force. Let's talk about um, the use of force in police work. What, why exactly? We all know why, but let's talk yeah. about it. Why would a police officer need to use force 
in a certain situation? What are some of the examples? Well, um, again, all sorts of the objective, know what you're trying to accomplish. And, and typically, um, it's to gain control of a situation and or arrest somebody. Um, there, and the reason we're gaining control of a situation or arresting somebody is for, a, you know, what's the objective there? It's, it's to, to make the situation safe for that person and, f- and primarily for the community at large. Um, that's why... Um, while we made you know six seven hundred physical arrests nine hundred forty two times, um, we just issued a summons, tell somebody to go to court, and that that was the arrest. And we always try to do that when we can. Um, for us to put hands on somebody or force them to be arrested, it means we, we feel it's dangerous if they don't get arrested for the most part. Um, so that's why those decisions are being made. That um, you know, there's a lot, out of those nine hundred forty two times that we issued citations and summons. Most of those probably could have been um, technically justifiable to put handcuffs on and take them to jail, but we don't do that unless we uh, feel we have to. Gotcha. So it's diffuse the situation, obviously, and then because you want to protect not only the public and the subject, but yourselves as well. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. What, what types of force are used. I mean, obviously, we know, you know handcuffs, the, the, the taser you mentioned, but what types of, of uh, restraint or, or force does the police department normally use? Well, the, the, the one we'd prefer to use is officer presence and verbal commands. That's actually a use of force. Okay. If I'm telling someone to do something, that's controlling their movements, which force generally is we're controlling movements, um, whether we're having them move a couple steps to the right or we are taking them into custody. Um, the next level is physical force or empty hand techniques. That's if we use a control hold to move up to guide a person from one point to another, or we're placing them in handcuffs. Um, the next level is intermediate force, which involves the use of less lethal weapons against a person and forcibly, um, subduing a person, um, with the assistance of those weapons. So, what those would be is our tasers, our um, expandable batons that all of our officers carry, um, OC spray, and our less lethal uh, impact munitions that are um, deployed from a shotgun. Um, didn't have to use any of those this year. And then the final level is, is force is the one none of us want to use, which is deadly force, which is a, a firearm or any action that could call, be expected to cause death or serious bodily injury. So. Um, we're trained not to um, hit people in the head with a baton, but it may be necessary if it, ter- it turns into a deadly force situation. So that could cause death, so therefore a baton could be deadly force. I don't personally remember the last time that any force shared in Buffalo, this area, has used deadly force. Had, um, when was that? It was October 28, 2005. Um, we, we had an incident um, at the Edwards Motel, I think my dates are correct, off the top of my head. Quite um, a few years ago. But yes. Recently. Okay. Uh, re- recently, none. Hmm. We, we, unfortunately, we've, actually, it was more recent than that. We, we did have an officer involved shooting on, on a 4th of July um, several years after that. I can't remember what year it was, though. It was, after, it was roughly um, 2010, 2012 time frame, if I remember correctly. Okay. So it's not something that, that happens regularly but it is and it does happen it and unfortunately it does happen it's something we train and train and train to prevent okay let's take a look at numbers 
Okay. Um, as far as uses of force, I think we kind of covered this a little bit. Let's get more into that. Sure. Um, um, let's see here. Go we I'll, I'll just break it down for the for list I have on the, the report here. Okay. Um, we used empty hand techniques four times, which is um, either an, an elbow strike or a knee, a knee strike. Those are usually used when people, like you see on TV, are laying on their hands and and uh, failing to follow a command to uh, put the hands um, behind their back. Um, we only deployed OC one time, which is a, a oleum capsicorum spray. It's pepper spray. We hate using it because we've all been sprayed with it and we know it hurts. We don't want to hurt people. Um, and there's always a possibility when you guys deploy that stuff that you might get some yourself. Yes. A yeah. probability, yeah. Yeah. High probability. Yes. Um, Not fun. All right, go ahead. <laughs> No, I was thinking we actually um, sprayed ourselves at the range accidentally um, on a training day. We we de- we were training and deployed it and went to lunch and came back and the wind had kicked up, so that I was, was cool. Say windy in this part of yeah. Wyoming, really? And it, and we and we realize it's painful, which is why we try to avoid using it. Um, we deployed uh, deployed tasers four times to affect the rest. They were su- successful every time. However, another public misconception is that all of our equipment works perfectly every time. Um, t- tasers actually depend on what people are wearing. If, you know, it's as cold as it's been um, in December, the, the thick winter jackets can have the potential to defeat the taser probes. Um, we utilize the taser drive stun once, and what that means is the officer doesn't actually fire, for lack of a better term, the cartridge. We can uh, make uh, contact with a person and um, still to get the effect, but they're not uh, deploying the probes to stick into people. And that, that's the gain control without ha- having to use any strikes. Um, so while it sounds harsh at the time, as soon as people comply, we can um, take our finger off the, the taser trigger and it's done. That, that's the difference between a taser and OC. OC takes at least 30 minutes to recover from. Once we have compliance with the taser, then, then it's finished. And we've all been sprayed and tased in, in our training. Um, we didn't use any deadly force, as I discussed in, in 2022. Um, we had three officers injured during use of force incidents. Um, but those, seriously though, no, they, it didn't, they were abrasions, sprains or bruises. Um, okay. and we had three of those and usually it's a, a knee getting twisted or an, an slip slipping during the course of, um, an arrest. And then we didn't have any suspects injured beyond the level of the abrasion sprains or, um, or bruises. So we're, we're very happy about that. We're not, uh, we're, we're not the, in the business of punishing people. Um, but what we prefer to use is the show of force and just the, 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 the presence. And we, we use that to get compliance. Okay, great. All right. We're going to go ahead and take a break right there and we'll come back and discuss a little bit more on the uh, use of force in the Sheridan Police Department. Uh, This is Aaron Palmer, Public Pulse, 9.30 a.m., 103.9 FM, KROE. We'll be back right after this.
Coast Federal Bank and Trust is committed to our community. Beginning in January, we'll be donating $1,000 cash each week for 52 weeks to a qualified Sheridan County nonprofit organization. And Sheridan Media will match that with a marketing budget. First Federal is one of two mutual banks in Wyoming, which means they don't pay stockholders. They reinvest your funds right back into the place we call home. Visit efirstfederal.bank for details. Community Commitment, presented by First Federal Bank and Trust and Sheridan Media. Member FDIC. Once again, the Wild Theater brings Western movie matinees back to the big screen. Each Sunday at 2 p.m., the Wild Theater will feature a hand-picked classic Western film with a celebrity host. This Sunday, we have the world-famous horseman and Western movie expert, Buck Brannaman, introducing Red River, starring John Wayne, Montgomery Clift, and Walter Brennan. John Wayne plays Thomas Dunson, who leads a 10,000-cow cattle herd to its destination in Missouri. But his tyrannical behavior along the way causes a mutiny, led by his adopted son played by Montgomery Cliff. Red River is a great adventure western considered as the very best among all westerns and undoubtedly is one of John Wayne's really great acting performances and sponsored by Jeff Ware and Carmel Timmons, Jim and Angie Navarro, The Neal Ranch, Letterbuck Car Wash, Christine Gimp Love Foundation, True Built Builders, Mickey and Kathy McNichol, Vacutech, Gene and Vicki Sterling, and John and Helen Isley Family Foundation. An effective marketing campaign can be a game changer for your business. Hi, this is Bob Grammons with Sheridan Media. Let us customize a marketing plan for your business using up to nine different radio stations. Place your print ad in front of 18,000 households in Sheridan and Johnson County in the Country Bounty or market your business worldwide through a variety of digital products that we offer. Sheridanmedia.com received over 8 million page views this past year and served over 58 million ad impressions. That means your business will have the opportunity to be seen by a vast number of potential customers. Don't wait any longer on an incredible opportunity to grow your business and reach new customers using radio, print, and digital. Let's tell your story, whether locally or across the country. Sharedamedia.com 672-7421 or email sales at sharedamedia.com. Sharedamedia is an employee-owned company. Come on, come on, come on, go, 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 go. You're gonna miss it. What happened? What did I miss? Darn nosy neighbor. Don't be the guy waiting for the instant replay. Make sure your pregame prep includes Range's Arlo doorbell camera so you don't miss a single play during the big game. Visit range.net slash Arlo today and guarantee that the pizza guy is the only delay of game flag you see. Public Pulse, 9.30 a.m. and 103.9 FM KROE. Aaron Palmer in for Floyd Whiting this week. And we're talking with... The Sheridan Police Department, Captain Tom Ringley and Lieutenant Dan Keller. And we've been talking about the use of force, um, statistics and whatnot from the year, and uh, dispelling some things that people may have in their heads about stuff that just is not true. But yes. anyway, um, one of the things we wanted to talk about on this section here is uh, investigating um, use of force, Exa- exactly what does that mean and and why um yeah well, i guess the why obviously we want to be accountable and we you know use of force is a really serious thing obviously so you're um, investigating your own yes okay we're looking at our own uses of force so anytime uh an action is taken that meets our definition of use of force 
um, or I should say the national definition. Um, obviously, the officer is going to, it's going to be memorialized on their body camera, usually. Um, they'll also document it in the case report. But also, their supervisor is required by the end of the shift to make an entry in a uh, computer system we have just for tracking those. Um, so command staff members will always see those immediately. And when we see those, we investigate them. Um, obviously, the, the main thing we look at, maybe not the main thing, but one of the primary things we look at is, was that force justified? Was it within policy? Was it within law? Um, so uh, we, we look at that. Um, so each, each incident gets reviewed by us. Um, the bigger thing we look at, too, not just um, was it justified, um, is maybe could it have been avoided? And specifically, we, we try to track, try, we do track um, how many of these incidents are happening per officer. Because um, it could be possible for a department to have an um, officer who has 10 incidents where he uses taser. Each one, if you look at it by itself, was justifiable. But while well, he had 10, the average officer had one. So why are they having so many more? Is there something we can help them de-escalate before that's getting there? So we, we track those for that reason, too. Not, so not only um, could they have used force, it's should they have used force. And was there other alternatives we could help them before that? Is that because the, the public perception, not all public, but just in general, is that the police forces around the country, not Sheridan specifically, is that there is excessive force in some incidents and people are, you know, upset about that. They're up in arms. Is that one of the reasons that you guys do this is to kind of put the kibosh on that? No, we we do it. You just do it. We do it to make sure we're serving our community in the best possible way. Okay. Um, It's a little different here because we're, we're relatively isolated, but even nationwide, if you look at the millions of police contacts a day and how, and and how many involve use of forces, um, I don't know if it's a million, how many, it's, right. mil, it's millions, a a, millions a year. Right. How many result in any use of force and how many um, result in unjustified use of force? It, it's what well, we don't want any. It's, it's the odds. Doctors aren't perfect. Um, teachers aren't perfect. No profession's perfect. And we're people, we hire people and people aren't perfect. So people make mistakes and people exhibit poor judgment. And that and that's what we're looking for. So you're just trying to curb that as yes. far as the yeah yeah. But it's not it's not because of no. this other stuff. It's you do it anyway. Yes. To help yourselves. Yes. Okay. I got you. All right. Um, let's continue with this. As far as the investigation goes, have you guys found anything, or everything seems to be on the up and up as far as Sheridan PD goes? Yeah, we've not found anything this year. Uh, merited discipline for any officers. Um, yeah, everything was within policy and didn't violate any case law, and we're really happy with that. Okay. We talked before we went on the air, and there's a, a myth, um, I guess, about when you, especially in communities like Sheridan, Buffalo, blah, 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 where you have the PD and the Sheriff's Department in the same building, and there's a lot of overlap as far as that goes. Sure. There seems to be some kind of a... Of a belief that the two departments sheriff's office police department don't work well together is that the case we should have done this at our last show which was when i dispelled <laughs> some police myths um first of all i'd like to congratulate um now commissioner thompson um on a, a brilliant law enforcement career and his service to the community um i've, I've known alan for a long time and he was on board when, when i got hired and he just had an, a stellar career and also congratulations to Sheriff Dominguez, who um, 
I hold in the same high regard. Um, Chief Goltiska and I met with uh, the sheriffs um, every other Tuesday um, for, for the last two years. Um, so that relationship's always been very close, but it, it, it is a myth. I, I, I don't know what the root cause of the, the myth is. Um, I suspect it's actually, I can confirm. I know one is from a, an officer that didn't really succeed with us and, and went to the sheriff's office. And, um, but at the street level, it's, it's been perfect for the last 22 years. We, we rely on the deputies that, help us out and they rely on us to help them out. And at that line level, it's been perfect at the command level. From what I've seen, it's been excellent. Um, there may have been some conflict in the past at, at the, at the um, executive level. However, that was over resources. Um, we dispatch for the, everyone in the County and the County provides us jail services. So those, hand the, hand. the cost for each one is over a million dollars. And, Obviously, it's the duty of each executive to get an uh, economy of resource for their um, communities. So th once again, these are people and people aren't perfect and relationships aren't perfect. But as far as providing law enforcement services to everyone in Sheridan County, they they've been excellent. So myth debunk. Yeah, it, yeah it, it's silly, for yeah, lack of a better I term. I've never needed a deputy and not had them bend over backwards to help help me or us and anytime they've asked for assistance i've always bent over backwards to help them and yeah it's an interesting myth i've heard it for you know 15 years ago when i started i heard it out in the public but i've never seen it manifest in yeah reality. and and not to call out the person i just called out but that's gossip and right. it's ridiculous and that person would not have any access to um, information from the at the executive level anyway so Highway Patrol, while we're at it, you guys seem to have a good working... Love those guys. Yeah. Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Jorgensen and, and his guys are, uh, in my opinion, the, the best unit in the state. Um, they, once again, we've got a fantastic relationship with them. Um, let's just go back a couple weekends to our shop with a cop at Walmart. We had uh, deputies and highway patrolmen um, with us, not helping us, but as partners in, in the event. And once again, we're... I've always equated it to the military. We're kind of the same unit. We're just different platoons. Um, but we, we have the same mission. Very good. All right. Thank you so much. That is Captain Tom Ringley and Lieutenant Dan Keller with the Sheridan Police Department. And thanks for talking to us about uh, all this stuff. The thanks use for having of force, us. Numbers and all that stuff. That's uh, 103.9 FM, 930 AM KROE. We'll be back with part two. Johnson County Commissioner Bill Novotny right after this. Federal Bank and Trust is excited to announce the First Federal Community Commitment Program. Each week for 52 weeks starting in January, First Federal will select a Sheridan County nonprofit who will receive $1,000 in cash, plus Sheridan Media will match that with a marketing budget. You can find an entry form at any First Federal Bank location or online at efirstfederal.bank. If you've received a donation from First Federal in the last three years, you're automatically entered into the drawing. Community Commitment presented by First Federal Bank and Trust and Sheridan Media. Member FDIC. Ready for 
College? Drop by Sheridan College for walk-in Wednesdays in the Whitney Atrium tonight, January 4th from 3 p.m. until 7 p.m. No appointment necessary. Register for classes, plan your education, and learn about financial aid options. If you can't make it tonight, it will be the next two Wednesdays, January 11th and January 18th as well. Individual appointments are also available. Call 675-0500 to schedule yours today. Visit Sheridan.edu for more information. Register now. Classes begin January 23rd. Sheridan College, begin your journey. The owners and staff at Kane's Funeral Home would like to thank the families of Sheridan and Johnson Counties for choosing Kane's and allowing them to serve you during these hard times. Kane Funeral Home makes it their mission to take the stress and uncertainty out of ceremonial services. They own and operate the only crematory in Sheridan County, so your loved one is always in their care. Kane's Funeral Home. Call 673-5837 or visit them online at canefuneral.com. Wrap Plumbing and Heating has been serving Sheridan since 2010. With all these years of experience, you can rely on them to handle all of your plumbing and heating needs. From new construction to remodels, repairs of existing systems to retrofitting, Wrap Plumbing and Heating can do it all. They are professional, clean, and courteous. Call 429-1196 for all your plumbing or heating needs. As we like to say, if you find a leak, let Dan take a peek. Legacy Diamond and Gems is so thankful for your patronage in 2022, making it their most successful year ever. Striving for excellence at Legacy Diamond and Gems is always their top priority, and they are taking important steps this year to improve their overall efficiency and preparing for their complete store remodel. They are improving their service with new store hours, 9.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m., Tuesday through Friday, and 9.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Saturday. Close Sundays and Mondays, Legacy Diamond and Gems, 11 North Main Street in downtown Sheridan. Delicious McDonald's deals are now more fun, more accessible, and better than ever through the McDonald's mobile app. The app is now the only place you can earn My McDonald's reward points on every McDelivery order. Plus, you can get those free McDonald's rewards you earn delivered, too. Just order, relax, and enjoy. McDonald's will bring your faves to you. Just go to the Google Play or Apple App Store and download the new McDonald's mobile app and start saving. Download it now. McDonald's, Sheridan, Buffalo, and Gillette. Public Pulse on 9.30 a.m., 103.9 FM KROE. Aaron Palmer filling in for Floyd Whiting this week. And in part two, we have Johnson County Commission Chairman Bill Novotny. Bill, are you there? I am, Aaron. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for joining us. You bailed me out, like I said earlier on the on the text that we had. I forgot to call you and let you know that we were still I, doing this. <laughs> glad, glad to be here. You know, I kind of have this on my schedule, always in the standing opportunity to visit with you guys so i'm just glad to help you out and hopefully the roads over to sheridan weren't too bad today i came back from the governor's inauguration yesterday with just enough time to make my own swearing in and boy the roads are rough out there they're okay between buffalo and sheridan so must have hit everything down south of us i guess well Um, that's good to know okay um yesterday was pretty busy for you guys like you said you got sworn in and uh, had your first commission meeting of the year. First of all, I wanted to talk about Linda Greeno because she did not, she decided not to rerun for her position, correct? She did. Uh, commissioner Greeno, who was an absolutely fantastic commissioner, kind of decided that eight years was uh, enough and that I think she'd accomplished the things that she set out to do. And so she elected to enjoy 
kind of her retirement and her family that's in the area. And I can tell you that uh, it was really a pleasure uh, and an honor for everybody that had the chance to work with Linda, uh, just a great commissioner. Obviously, then also uh, when you lose a great commissioner, we also lost our incredible county clerk right. uh, who decided to retire. And uh, Vicki Edelman uh, was a stateswoman and just a great asset. Uh, and I certainly am going to miss her. But I also understand that she wants to enjoy her retirement and follow her grandkids and, and do things with her husband, who's also now uh, retired. So our hats off to those two ladies and their service. They have been very helpful to, I think, the community in, in being a reporter for however many years. Both of those ladies were more than willing to help to, you know, do whatever needed to be done. And it, they were just very, very good to work with. So I agree with you. It's, they're going to be missed. Um, let's talk a little bit about yesterday's meeting because it was, as we said, quite busy. You welcomed in a new commissioner yesterday. Yes, we did. Jeff Shelley joins the commission and, uh, folks probably recognize him name for different businesses, uh, in the community that he's owned over the years, uh, as well as the different boards, uh, that he has served on, uh, biggest one. I think that everybody's probably aware of is his service on the Buffalo Outdoor Pool Board, which is a great board, and that's a great facility. Uh, but we welcomed him, and, and Jeff is going to take some of the committee assignments that Linda had and also some that were reshuffled. And so you're going to see Commissioner Perry sitting on some new boards, and I'm sitting on some new boards, and some of my boards and Bob's boards have shifted over to Jeff. So uh, just a, a good time for a fresh start. You've got uh, just a lot of optimism with newly elected folks on the special district boards that we're going to work alongside with. Certainly uh, a couple great new city council members joined last night that we look forward to partnering with, you know, listening to your previous guests talking about the relationships that you see between sheriff's office and, and um, the PD. Uh, same goes here in Johnson County. Those are valuable relationships, but uh, those relationships between your city and your county on all levels of government are critical uh, we've got to work together to deliver services because you can only cut that pie up so many pieces and, and just making sure that we're doing the very best for our, the taxpayers. Bill, one of the things that, that I don't know how long you've been doing this, I guess that's the question, but um, is it every two weeks that you guys have a city-county meeting where you discuss things that are pertinent to both the city and the county? Uh, how long has that been going on? So that we actually do it once a month. Uh, it's a breakfast and uh, that was restarted when, uh, Jim Hicks, uh, was chairman of the County Commission and Mike Johnson was mayor of the city of Buffalo. Okay. So, uh, I, I don't know prior to when I joined, uh, the commission, but that's been going on at least eight years. Uh, and certainly that's going to continue on as long as I'm involved, uh, with county government, because it really is, uh, we sit down for an hour. We update each other on projects that have overlap. Uh, our, our last one, we spent a fair amount of time talking about pieces of legislation that are going to be coming up that impact cities, towns, and counties. Uh, and it's just that open dialogue. And, and it's not always uh, rosy. And, and uh, certainly, whether it's come to ownership of, of roads, and I'm thinking the Klondike Drive, <laughs> uh, sometimes breakfast is just a little bit awkward. But 
uh, we come together, you talk, you eat, uh, and then everybody gets to work. Awkward but necessary. Yes. Gotcha. Well, you brought up the legislature, and uh, I'm assuming you're headed down for the legislative session, at least for part of it, correct? I I will. Uh, The goal of the County Commissioners Association is always to make sure that we have at least two commissioners uh, in the Capitol to cover the legislative committees, in addition to uh, the staff we have at the Commissioners Association, and, and WAM has their own uh, legislative staff, and, and they cover stuff with mayors and, and council people also. So it's being there when the legislature has a question on how a program works or how the money gets passed uh, down and put to work on the ground or at times when we have to play a little bit of defense and say to the legislature, you know, what you guys are advocating probably isn't a good idea, and here's why. Okay. There are, I, I went to the city council meeting last night and uh, Senator uh, Kinski was there and he spoke about things that were coming up. What do you see as, as important issues that you are going to be looking at while you're down there um, for Johnson County and possibly the city of Buffalo? First and foremost, and I know it's on everybody's mind, is uh, property tax reform, uh, and there there are multiple ideas floating around right now. Whether it's a cap, whether it's making residential property a uh, a separate class under the tax structure, um, and so what we've got to make sure that uh, as these multiple ideas are moving forward in the process, that they don't conflict with each other, uh, and that something gets done, something achievable. And uh, unfortunately, it may mean that that achievable thing also then requires uh, a constitutional amendment to change the Wyoming state constitution uh, in regards to taxes for residential. So it may be a multi-year effort to get that done. But whether it's uh, in Johnson County uh, is a aging county, if you look at the demographics, we got a lot of people over the age of 65 who either um, have lived here all their lives or have retired to here. Uh, and so those increases in property tax hurt them when they're on a fixed income. And I'll tell you, uh, for our young people and, and those people that are just starting out in their careers, you uh, if they can find housing uh, is one thing. And then being able to afford the taxes on it after you're in that starter home is another, especially mm-hmm. if you have a young family and, and you're just getting started. So uh, that's going to be first and foremost, uh, Aaron, is it looking at solutions to our property tax system. Okay. One of the things that uh, Senator Kinski talked about was there's obviously more money in the coffers because of the price of oil and gas and, and minerals that has been elevated over the last couple of years. So there's going to be some extra money, excuse me, that uh, the legislature will have to work with. I, I, would you be looking at the possibility of trying to see some of that money trickle down to the cities and counties or looking at possibly putting that back into coffers and saving that for a rainy day fund or whatever personally what would you like to see so aaron i'd like to see kind of approach that factors in both of those one of the first things and and senator kinski uh is going to chair the appropriations committee on the senate side 
one of the first things that they need to do is make sure that they have adequately funded the property tax relief program. We have a program that's already on the books that looks at your income and the uh, property taxes that you're paying on your home uh, and offers a rebate. That program is not fully funded. And if you look at the money that was taken out of it, and we're, we operate a budget on the biennium, so the money that went out of the program this year, it's going to be potentially become insolvent next year. So uh, it's critical that they take a portion of that money and backfill it into that property tax uh, uh, relief program that we already have on the books that's already established. Uh, they need to put some money into uh, the capital construction for healthcare facilities. I think of, uh, you know, as we're working to find the dollars for the crisis stabilization unit at Sheridan Memorial Hospital and Mike McCafferty and his staff up there uh, are really doing a great job of, of trying to find every penny so that that thing can become a reality and we can hopefully get that open in 2024, which will be huge for us uh, in Buffalo when we've got somebody who's in a mental health crisis so that we can get them help quickly. It'll be very, very important to the community of Sheridan and the, the regional area because, of course, those beds will be available to anybody who's in crisis. So, you know, if they can direct some of that money uh, to those things, and then absolutely you're right. Some of it needs to be uh Put into savings. If you look at the LISRA, which is the legislative stabilization account, the rainy day account, I, I believe they are at record uh, dollars in that savings account. Obviously, you like interest income that comes off of that because then that flows in to pay for services that you don't have to tax or use fees for. So, you know, I really hope they can do a, a mix of, of addressing infrastructure needs that we have making sure property tax programs are fully funded uh, and then look at savings. Uh, and, and I don't even want to start on uh, how they're going to try to find a long-term uh, funding solution for education. Right. That's all every year, every year they're talking about that. So one of the, that's one of the things that I think people in Johnson County need to be aware of is that, you know, even though we're talking about Sheridan Memorial hospital and this crisis center, um, that is going to benefit Johnson County right alongside Sheridan County, whether people down there believe it or not. So it is, and I think it's important for people to get behind this, contact their representatives or senators, whatever, and say, hey, you know, I think this is a good idea. Um, one of the things that the governor is looking at is, is trying to push money through for that. How positive do you feel about the legislature funding that crisis center at Sheridan Memorial? You know, it's going to be a, a lift, uh, and then it's a question of whether or not money goes over to the flip board and we have to go through another application process. Uh, you know, Mike and his group put together a great application that was funded uh, partially, so if they can resubmit that or, or just how that works, you know, they'll be kind of writing the rules for this as the plane uh, is uh, – flying and, and we're trying to keep it a, assembled uh, or, or add on to it. Uh, so we'll kind of see how that works out while they're in session. But I, I think it's just critical that we get that done. And, you know, it'll be kind of a, a first of its kind in this region and uh, just very, very much uh, in demand. That's going to take a lot of uh, pressure off the police force, um, Northern Wyoming, mental health, blah, blah, blah. A bunch of these other organizations that are currently dealing with this. So that crisis center, I think, is probably 
probably much needed. It, it really is, Aaron. And, you know, DOA has opened up and, and got some beds available, but uh, I, I'm sure they're probably at, at capacity with what they have. We know that uh, the, the VA is struggling with staffing and they've had to reduce some of the services that they're able to provide. So it's just uh, there, there's critical need. And unfortunately, once those six beds are available, we'll probably be looking at ourselves and saying, gosh, we wish we had 12. But uh, you do with what you have. And uh, certainly uh, it's going to be uh, expensive to uh, operate and maintain that. But uh, you can't put a price on that service that we need. Gotcha. Okay. we got a couple of minutes here, Bill. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about real quick was the uh, veteran skilled nursing facility up there. It's opened, or at least there was a uh, ribbon cutting here a couple months back. Um, has that opened, or where are we sitting at at this point? Do we know? So, Aaron, at this point, we are very, very close. Uh, there is uh, some punch list items that they're working through with the contractor. Uh, all the contractors have struggled with uh, labor, and, and so, uh, but they've worked very, very hard to keep this project on, on time and uh, as close to budget as possible with some interesting disruptions in the supply chain. Uh, but uh, once they can get that done, then they can do all their final inspections, get that certificate of occupancy, and, and then uh, the staff up there can look at how they're going to flex employees that are maybe employed over on the domiciliary side that maybe are going to move over there uh, or look at the additional uh, staffing that needs to happen. So, uh, you know, we, we're probably weeks or months away from actually seeing folks in those beautiful rooms and, and enjoying uh, care uh, that is going to be unparalleled right up there on the grounds of the veterans home. So we're very close. Okay. And it is a beautiful facility. I was up there for the ribbon cutting and it's, it's absolutely beautiful. So yeah, it will be a nice place for those veterans. Are they still having CNA issues? Is that one of the issues that is holding things up up there, Bill? You know, on that side, I can't say, but certainly I know that we're seeing it at our uh, nursing home here that they're actually hiring in, uh, some traveling nurses and CNAs to cover shifts. Uh, you have some folks who've decided that they maybe don't want to work in healthcare anymore because of a vaccine mandate. Uh, obviously, it's it's a stressful and hard career. Um, you know, I know everyone is working to make sure that nurses and CNAs are, are well compensated. But uh, as we're seeing in every industry, whether it's uh, hospitality or retail, uh, healthcare, that and I, I can't tell you where the workforce went, uh, but there just seems to be impacting everyone a, a shortage of, of workers. Across the board. Agreed. Okay. Bill, thank you so much. We're uh, we're going to go ahead and cut things off right there. We're about a minute away from getting things done. So uh, Bill Novotny, chairman of the Johnson County Commission, thank you so much for joining us, Bill, and talking with us, and uh, have a great day. Thank you so much. You too, Aaron. Thanks. You bet. Public Pulse, 930 AM, 103.9 FM, KROE. Aaron Palmer, be back with you again tomorrow. Thanks. First.
Federal Bank and Trust is committed to our community. Beginning in January, we'll be donating $1,000 cash each week for 52 weeks to a qualified Sheridan County nonprofit organization. And Sheridan Media will match that with a marketing budget. First Federal is one of two mutual banks in Wyoming, which means they don't pay stockholders. They reinvest your funds right back into the place we call home. Visit efirstfederal.bank for details. Community Commitment, presented by First Federal Bank and Trust and Sheridan Media. Member FDIC. Hi, this is Brad at Primary Motors, where we are looking to buy your clean used vehicles, tractors, ATVs, and much more. We will also down trade and do appraisals. Here at Primary Motors, we are a full service dealership offering quality used cars, trucks, and SUVs. Our Super Trailer Store features a wide variety of stock, utility, and cargo trailers. Primary Motors has been making customers happy for decades. See us today at 2305 Coffee and Avenue in Sheridan or online at primarymotors.com. This public service announcement sponsored by Pilch Engineering, serving Sheridan and Johnson Counties. Hello, Sheridan County. Recently, the SHS We the People team won its 10th state championship in school history. Students will represent Wyoming in Washington, D.C. in April. Now we need your financial help. To sponsor our team, send your gift of support to Mike Thomas, Sheridan High School, CO We the People team at 1056 Long Drive, Sheridan, Wyoming, 82801. If you would like a tax benefit, please make your check out to the SHS Booster Club. On the check memo line, indicate your donation to We the People. Thank you, and go Bronx. Buy two weeks, get two weeks free. Our classified ad special going on right now at the Country Bounty. When you buy two weeks, you get two weeks free. The Country Bounty is your source for classified ads in Sheridan and Johnson Counties with a circulation of over 17,000 households. So don't wait. Buy two weeks and get two weeks free. The Country Bounty classified deadline is every Thursday at 1 p.m. An marketing Call. campaign can be a game changer for your business. Hi, this is Bob Grammons with Sheridan Media. Let us customize a marketing plan for your business using up to nine different radio stations. Place your print ad in front of eight 18,000 households in Sheridan and Johnson County in the Country Bounty or market your business worldwide through a variety of digital products that we offer. SheridanMedia.com received over 8 million page views this past year and served over 58 million ad impressions. That means your business will have the opportunity to be seen by a vast number of potential customers. Don't wait any longer on an incredible opportunity to grow your business and reach new customers using radio, print, and digital. Let's tell your story, whether locally or across the country. SheridanMedia.com, 672-7421, or email sales at SheridanMedia.com. Sheridan Media is an employee-owned company. KROE, Sheridan, broadcasting from the Wyoming Corporate Office Studio. KROE.